Many of us use Excel spreadsheets and Word documents to collect data and build our plans. But this week's guest says that it's time for resilience professionals to build a better toolbox, and he believes technology is the key. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 2024. This is episode 115 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week we start 2024 off with a resilience A-lister, as Marcus Vaughn joins us. Marcus tells us that we don't often look hard enough at the tasks we need to do. He says that it's our job to allow those who use our plans to make really good decisions, and he explains that we need to start with why, and that by using technology, we can remove friction, generate interest in the work that we do, build the capability of our program, and yes, we can build that better toolbox. Marcus, welcome to the podcast. I, we're starting off 2024 with the A-list here. Like we're breaking out some big names here. We got Marcus <laughs> Vaughn, man. Hey, take a minute and introduce yourself, please. Hey, Mark. It's uh, yeah, it's really good to be here. So thanks very much for having me on. Um, so yeah, Marcus Vaughn, I'm one of the co-founders of Illumina. I've been in the risk and resilience space most of my career now, uh, and now I've spent a lot of time uh, traveling the world and speaking with major organizations that are uh, looking to build that, that I guess, capability and resilience. So I, I, I think I have one of the best jobs in the world, Mark. So delighted to be here. You, you talked about being a traveler. Any idea how many miles you flew last year in 2023? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think Qantas um, had me at about 120,000 kilometers, um, which, but then I travel a lot in United across the States and Emirates through to Europe as well. So I think that's probably about the half of it, uh, I'd okay. say. So we're probably, we're probably clocking over 200,000 kilometers. Um, I'll have to do the conversion to take that back to miles, but um, it's <laughs> it was a few miles. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's crazy. I know I've seen you a couple of times in 2023. I saw you in Phoenix. Uh, but uh, what's next for you? Where, where are you heading after the holidays? Yeah, so I think the back end of uh, January, we've got a conference in New York that we're going to get up to, uh, really focused on third-party risk management, which um, we're yeah. lucky enough to be named as a cool vendor in third-party risk management last year. So that was that was good for us. We're spending a lot of time in that space. It's a big problem. Um, so yeah, spending some more time in New York and then we've got a lot of customers down in the, the DC, Virginia area. So typically spend some time down that way as well. So back on the plane, uh, yeah, clocking up the miles for 24. And you just did an event, uh, there, uh, in DC in December, I believe it was maybe late November, somewhere in there. November, and that yeah. kind of ties into a little bit about what I want to talk about because, uh, Illuminar is about providing technology-based solutions to make organizations more resilient. We're not just talking about Illumina today. We're talking about this uh, more generically, but mm -hmm. you're the perfect person to talk to. Let me take a different position for a minute just to set this up for you. Mm. If I was to take the position of someone who uses, let's say, Excel to capture BIA data and then Word to write business continuity plans, for an organization like that, the cost is really pretty much limited to just the people, right? I mean, the tools are, are not really very costly. But when technology is used, I guess the costs go up. But from your perspective, I guess the benefits go up too. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about technology, in particular technology in the workforce, I, I guess I'd take a pretty holistic view about 
um, what it's there to do. Um, and so a few questions come to my mind. It's like, what, what's the outcome that we're actually trying to achieve? Like the, the broader life cycle of that outcome as well. Uh, you know, BIAs is a great example of that. Um, you know, if you think the job is just to collect the BIA data, you're probably not thinking broadly enough around mm-hmm. the whole life cycle in terms of when you actually need to use that data um, in that. anger, yeah. that analysis and anger. Um, so that's not the job to get done. The actual job to get done is to make really good decisions on on game day. Um, and I think about things like the user journey as well in terms of how we, because that that affects your data, uh, for instance. So what's that user journey look like and what friction is in there and then what flow is in there as well. And so when I think about friction and flow for a user, it's not just the practitioner, it's the end stakeholder in the business who might not really care much about resilience because uh, it's not part of, well, they don't think it's part of their day job. And so what does that user flow feel like? What points of friction sit in there? So things that slow it down, like a handbrake, um, you know, is, is technology clunky? Is the process clunky? Um, or, you know, what flow is there? How engaging is it? How is it bringing people in? How is it making their life easier? You know, a really good example of that, just coming out of obviously the, the holiday season is, you know, you might open a present and, you know, an Apple iPhone, it's already charged and you turn it on and it works. Like that's the zero friction there. If you open something up and you have to charge it, um, you've got all an immediate point of friction. So then how do we how do we remove friction from that customer journey to get the, the job done? And then finally, I guess really to do an ROI analysis on it. So what what are the costs? What are all the costs involved here? Um, and I think technology costs is just one of those it's a very easy direct cost to measure. So, you know, platform A versus platform B from a technology perspective, very easy to do. But then you have to start looking at the time costs of actually getting that job done. And that's time from the practitioner, but also time from the end user uh, out in the business. What does that look like? And then there's the cost of getting it wrong. Hmm. So if you have a process or a piece of technology that might, again, we'll go back to the BIA because you used as an example, that might capture BIA data, um, but that BIA data is not great data. So you've got a garbage in, garbage out situation. So you're making not great decisions on game day. What's the cost of that? And then also what's the cost of actually not being able to access that data and analyze it really easily? Um, so that's a cost as well. So you marry all of that up against, you know, how much we're investing into this uh, for platform A, platform B, and you get your ROI about, you know, is it worth us doing this? So we, like I said, it's a more, it's a bigger question. <laughs> Rather than yeah. you know, how do we how do we um, do that? And I think one of the you know the big pieces that we've recognised with technology is you know just coming back to that friction and flow factor in resilience. Um, there are you know a lot of lot of great platforms out there that have very powerful analysis tools. But I think one of the things that we've certainly seen missing, um, for, well you know so long as I've been in this space, is that is that point of engagement and really driving that engagement and getting people actually having that moment of clarity that I now understand why we're doing this. Um, and if they can understand that entire life cycle from collecting data through to having to use it, they get it. There's there's a, you know, there's an immediate aha moment. And if they're having that moment from an end user perspective, they're going to be more inclined to, you know, think more clearly about it and actually give you more time to get the job done properly, which means again, when it comes down to game day, you're uh, you've got better decisions being made. Sometimes you need to drag the client into the right perspective. I'm wondering when it comes to continuity and resilience and using this data and things like that, 
how much of that are you seeing? How much of that do you see the client dragging you to say, no, 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 we need more, we need this, versus you saying to the client, no, 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 you've not been looking at this holistically enough. Try looking at the data through this lens. What's your experience with that? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I, the, I guess the one thing that we do very well, and it's probably how we've stood out somewhat, is to start with the bang is probably the best way to look at it. So if you're able to start with a, a moment that gets people to understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing, um, they're able to see very clearly why they need to go through a certain process on something. Uh, and so we always say, you know, start with the bang. Um, and so giving people an acute moment of, you know, stress about a, you know, a known unknown or an unknown unknown, something they haven't really seen and experienced before, they think very differently around why they're doing that that particular job. Um, and so we certainly have a lot of customers come to us and saying, hey, listen, we've been doing it this way. We've had some real issues in engagement um, and we, we, we know that we need to do something different here. And then when you flip that model on the head and say, well, let's start with engagement as I say, as opposed to start with process, because um, that will guide people getting into a process if you can show them why they're doing it. And so it really comes, you know, Simon Sinek wrapped it up really, really well, right? Start with the why. And if you can, uh, if you can get that moment of clarity as to why we're doing it, um, you'll just see a lot more green lights go on uh, across an organization very quickly. Now, the the consultant version of that is asking the CEO, what keeps you up at night? 100%. Right? And you understand the why at that point. Your first couple of answers have really kind of led me to this next question, because I've mm. heard you say that one of the things that's a difficulty for resilience professionals is that the people we work with are stretched too thin. They mm. don't see maybe some of the value, as you just said in traditional BCP. But if the technology reduces that friction, but also has that kind of shiny object to it, it can really lead to better engagement, right? Yeah, 100%. And um, and I think that's where technology should be used as a force multiplier, uh, because there is not there is not a resilience team anywhere that I've seen around the world that says, oh, we have too many resources uh, for mm -hmm. the job that we have to get done. Like it just doesn't exist. Like when we speak with a lot of globals and even mid-market organizations around the world, no one is flush with resources given the amount of work that, that is now required to get done, be it from a regulatory perspective or just the, the pure scale of what we're dealing with from a potential disruption uh, protection point of view. And so no one's got that. No one, no one has a lot of resources. So um, the the critical point there is to, again, get people uh, thinking about why they're getting it done, being able to apply that uh, in a force multiplier effect. Um, and to that point, if you're able to get something, you know, a little bit sexy, a little bit sizzling starting that process and they can get into that very quickly, it means that they're not... Um, they're not make, taking this leap of faith of I'm having to run through a full process before I get to that moment. So we very much flip that on the head and say, let's start with that moment and then we'll run the process after that because you understand it straight up. I know I said at the beginning, we're not going to talk too much about uh, Illumina's product, but I do have to ask you about your product to set up this question. So this is a multi-part question. So follow me here okay. if you can. All right. I'm wondering, first of all, if you're using specific technology to establish an exercise scenario and that kind of thing. And then are you also using your own tool 
to present the plan and the action steps and things like that. So maybe walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a really good question. So I think at the heart of it all, um, for us, it's all about capability. So how do we build capability and, and essentially get that capability to understand the tools that they have access to, to really be able to respond effectively uh, on the day. And so, you know, part of what we do at, at Illumina is very much create, you know, we have a catalog of micro simulations, for instance, that really start with the bang. So we get people straight into something that's either a novel risk or, you know, a very real uh, probable risk that, you know, could be even severe, but plausible, get them to have that moment. And then also within that, of course, starting to look at what are all the various tools that I have access to, to be able to respond to that, be it, you know, a business continuity plan, uh, be it a response playbook, be it, you know, a communication strategy. So how do we essentially access the tools that we need have been built over the years to go this is the situation what do i what can i do and what do i have access to that i can help essentially get into that situation and so it does two things number one it creates awareness around key threats that are either emerging or you know like i said very severe but plausible or even just you know run-of-the-mill risks that we we see year in year out um, and it also gets them to start thinking about how do we how do we essentially bring to life all of these tools um, that we have built or have access to to really improve, I guess, the the effectiveness of that response. So it's um, yeah, like I said, it's all about building capability, uh, using what's there um, as opposed to you know particularly just replacing anything. Is is the software typically customizable? I mean, one of the things we do. Anytime we build a resilience program for an organization is it's got to fit the context of the organization, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, this isn't about trying to drop in a new resilience program. This is about bringing an organization's resilience program to life. So everything has to be quite highly configurable on that front. Um, it's about getting, you know, the right to that point before the right tools, playbooks, um, you know, thresholds, assessment tools, uh, all of that into the platform, having a, you know, like I said, a series or a track of micro simulations that are, yeah, it might be very much 80% off the off the shelf, but, you know, 20% customizable to make sure that we are talking about, you know, the right roles, the right verbiage um, in the organization, you know, the right names of applications that might be critical that you have to knock out, getting all those nuances right, because that context is absolutely critical in making sure that people are actually engaged and not just saying, oh, this couldn't happen to us because X. Because, uh, you know, Mark, from your time with organizations, if you ever have that moment, you've lost them. You've lost them for good. Right, right. No, for sure. Some time ago, you uh, put out a really effective uh, ad campaign where you talked about uh, moving to game day situations, I think is what it, is is how you phrased it. So talk a little bit about wargaming and, and you know, more about those micro simulations you talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the concept of wargaming is obviously not a new one. It's a, it's a way to create a situation that people have to respond to. I mean, in the traditional sense of wargaming, I think they typically look to have, you know, two teams uh, try and tackle a situation. We've nuanced that, obviously, to the resilience world um, and gamified it through, you know, micro simulations that create that, that lifelike scenario that people can get into. Uh, and that gives people those aha moments to, you know, to really be able to tackle something that is essentially going to affect their their organization. 
um, we brought that to life, um, you know, during our, I guess, using our War Game to Game Day series over the course of 2023, which was a, um, I guess, a way to bring resilience practitioners together to really talk through some of these novel and, I guess, emerging risks that are coming through, yeah. um, experience them like firsthand, but in that forum of anywhere between, I think our you know smallest was 20 people, our largest was 80 people, where uh-huh. we had different tables working on this situation to understand what is happening here and how would I tackle this um, this particular scenario. And like we are using scenarios that not or if any have experienced before. So you know, great, great one that we uh, did uh, in this last series was, okay, what happens if your, um, if your organization is under some sort of AI ransomware attack and either you or your spokesperson for the organization has just been deep faked about how your company's out of control, um, you know, and trying to deal with this, what does that process look like? Um, is that person allowed to be in the room uh, in the crisis, you know, war room with you to actually tackle it, or are they sidelined with HR? And then what's the alternate look like? What's your process for verification? And it really, again, these are, these are situations that we are going to face and some organizations already have, yeah. Um, and so we are starting to see that, but how as resilience practitioners, do we need to start thinking through, um, preparing our organizations and bringing this to life so that, you know, again, on game day, it's not the first time you've experienced it. I really like the the thought process here. You were talking earlier about emerging threats. And if we think of resilience sort of just in the old school way of thinking about it, loss of a building, a loss of a system, Okay, that's fine, but that's only a corner of the table. We got to we got to protect the whole thing, and we have to be able to think about those emerging threats. And I think the secret to being a good resilience professional is to equip yourself with all of these different tools, whether it's good exercising tools or good tools for engagement to to raise that capability. You have some solutions that jumped out at me that I wanted to talk about. Again, conceptually about having them. And one is threat intelligence. And then one is a tool for the safety and welfare of our people. So talk about those two tools a little bit and then how they work collectively to be part of a bigger toolkit. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. And and they are, you you hit the nail on the head, Mark. Like these are all tools uh, to our disposal to really improve, uh, I guess, the, well, and protect people, obviously assets uh, from an organizational perspective. And they all have their place, I guess, in the in the orchestra um, that is uh, making up resilience, a resilience program for an organization. So when we look at threat intelligence, um, and again, the, probably the one thing I'll say with all of this is like, it, it always still comes back to capability. Uh, it is great to have these tools, but if people don't know how to use them properly or the flow on uh, effects from actually using them, that and that's where we see one of the greatest um, demise of, of some really amazing tools out there. Um, so when we look at threat intelligence, I always think about it from a perspective of context. So context, the organization. So today is today and we know what today looks like. We have the context of today. That context is going to change. At, at any given point of time. And so when I think about threat intelligence, I think about it in two ways. What are the external factors to our organization that are changing? And then how do we essentially get the, you know, the signal on that change as soon as we can possibly get it? And then also internally, and a lot of people forget about that. It's like, well, we actually have a lot of people doing a lot of things. What's, you know, what's the context and what's the change in the context there? And so how do we monitor those changes 
and and get to a place of really quickly understanding what has the potential to have a you know medium to significant impact in the organization and how do we get over the top of that really quickly and again right. capability right understanding that really quickly um, and then also how do we what do we do with that once it does happen and do people have the capability to to be able to deal with that and this is where I think when you are able to build capability in in understanding context and understanding the change of context and understanding what to do about it right across an organization, you get a much more powerful use of intelligence. So if you only have just your team in, in the GSOC, for instance, who is um, who is across threat intelligence, you're forgetting about anywhere from you know a thousand to a hundred thousand people that have a role and responsibility to monitor a changing context and potentially do something about it. Now, it's not going to be the same action as what a GSOC you know, security team member is going to take. But if, they can, if we can train them up so they have the capability to go, this is the, this is the context of today, but something's changed and I need to either deal with it based on my role and responsibility or escalate it because it looks like it's kind of coming out of my sphere of control here then I can do that really quickly and send that to people who have a higher level of capability. When I think about the, again, threat intelligence and context, I always it always, for me, comes back to, well, how do we just increase that level of capability right across the organization? So, um, and again, that's where technology can be a force multiplier to, to build that capability. That obviously plays in really well with, you know, I guess, uh, you know, protecting people and the welfare of people. So we're, again, we just look at uh, that in terms of the toolkit of how do we, again, if there are situations, if there is a change in that context, how do we come over the top of that really quickly and really provide them the support and resources that, that they really need really quickly? And, and also, how do we get the intelligence from them to understand what is the priority? What's the biggest issue there? How do we bring that all together so we're making good decisions? Uh, and essentially, you know, as we've all experienced before, understand the impacts really quickly and then prioritize the resources to really support those people very quickly, whether that be guidance on what to do, whether that be, hey, it could be right down to just having potable water um, out very quickly to a, to an area of people that might not have any because a hurricane's just torn through again. Sure. Um, so yeah, that I, I guess with, like I said, capability probably is always the underpinning point for me in terms of how do we build that up and really make sure that that's just threaded through the fabric of the organization. What's really important here is so many times we think of business continuity as, um, yeah, we do some planning, but we don't really act until something goes bad. What we're doing with threat monitoring is we're always constantly evaluating and not only looking to see if something went bad, but then assessing it to say, oh, if that really did go bad and it affected us, we're not ready, right? And being willing to admit we're so, not ready and we need to take some action to to help plan to be better for that. And I, I, I really, really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me ask you something about this financially because I feel like yeah. it, maybe this might be a common objection that you always have to overcome. And maybe it's a myth, I don't know. Is this just for enterprise size organizations or is it something that's affordable enough for even smaller teams? Yeah, that, that is actually a really good question. Um, what we see is typically the investment into this this type of, um, well, any type of resilience uh, tooling uh, 
obviously there is always more, um, how do I put it? I guess ROI when you've got scale in the organization and you know you have a bigger job to complete. And so that force multiplier effect becomes much more, much a bigger concern and a bigger and a bigger value of return. However, um, and this is one of the challenges for organizations that are in that, you know, that mid-market space with smaller teams, is quite often they're still dealing with the same level of regulatory requirement, um, mm-hmm. the same disruption effects. They still have people in areas that are not always safe. They still have a travel risk concern. And so we've had to think very carefully around um, how do we make this to be a scalable solution so that, you know, if you're at the absolute top end of town, um, yes, it's going to be fit for purpose because you've got a, you know, you've got a global piece. And so it is going to, you know, cost X, but also for those teams that, you know, just don't have that same level of resource investment. So how does it scale down to be able to fit that size of organization as well? So it it is available um, for, for, you know, organizations of really any size, like we have some, some of our customers in particular only have, you know, just their crisis management team and their alternates uh, in there using this thing. And then we have some organizations that are, you know, looking at micro simulation, micro simulating 60,000 people next year or this year. So it's a, um, it it really does scale. I think um, one of the big, I guess the the challenges that we're going after uh, with this is, you know, coming down to that that friction and flow thing we we're talking about before is how do we make this even more engaging? You know, always we're always challenging ourselves here and trying to disrupt ourselves. Like, how do we just make this just absolutely seamless for the end user out there in the business? Um, and that that being, you know. And it's the same challenge as you get in enterprise land as you might get down in, in mid-market and, you know, even small to medium businesses. People's resilience isn't everyone's day job. I mean, it is, but they don't think it is. And so right. you have to make it, you know, consumable with as little friction as possible, really thinking through that user journey. And it is the same challenge you get, like I said, in enterprises, you get to a business owner who might run a mechanics, like, or at least, you know, a small manufacturing organization. It's the same challenge. So we are really trying to solve for that, you know, making sure that engagement and that user um, experience is just absolutely spot on. All right, Marcus, it's music time here. You're walking to a podium. You get to pick the song that's playing. What song do you pick and why? Walking to the podium. So when I think about walking to the podium, um, I think about something that's quite upbeat, uh, something that's quite celebratory. Uh, And so I'd probably, funnily enough, I'd probably go with uh, Macklemore's Glorious uh, you know, a lot of energy in that song. Uh, it's all about uh, it's all about you know being comfortable and, and in your own skin, uh, and obviously just knowing that you are exactly where you should be uh, right now. And so when I think about walking up to an podium, I, I typically think that's the that's the kind of music I'd I'd put to that. All right, and for a guy who travels two million kilometers a year, uh, <laughs> being right where you should be is pretty important. <laughs> That's exactly, that is exactly right. Yeah, and knowing what true. time zone you're in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, thanks for doing this. How can people connect with you to learn more? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a pretty prolific user of LinkedIn. So certainly on LinkedIn. Um, and if uh, you, you want to learn more about Illumina, even before you connect with me on LinkedIn, I mean, Illumina.io is, is a website, plenty of resources there. We're really here to support the resilience community. So um, there's plenty of stuff there if you if you want to look into that. But always up for a chat. If you're um, if you're like me, I, I nerd out on resilience. So always up for a chat. So just hit me on LinkedIn. So yeah, I mean, uh, pretty good chance that uh, at a conference here or there, you might run into Marcus or his team. I would encourage you to stop by the booth and say hi. It's always interesting. 
Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. And uh, look forward to seeing you at those conferences as well. Yep. And thanks for being here. I appreciate it. No, likewise, Mark. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. I want to thank Marcus Vaughn for being my guest this week and talking to us about using technology to make us more resilient and to improve our program overall. The Resilient Journey podcast is a Resilience Think Tank production. We have a lot of great guests in store for 2024, so I would encourage you to subscribe to the Resilient Journey podcast. And one of those guests will be here next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our Resilient Journey. You know I'm back like I never left. Peace of mind, seeking to find I can sleep when I die, want a piece of the pie, got the keys to the ride and shit, I'm straight.